here we go. And here we go. This is the Skip Bayless Show. Episode one, the launch, buckle up. Now you probably know me mostly from what's called the debate format on television. I guess you could call me, as some do, the godfather of that format. What you're about to experience has absolutely nothing to do with undisputed televised debate, me versus Shannon Sharp, one-on-one, go for the throat, try to win the debate. You might call this the un-undisputed because there is so much that I'm never able to get to on Undisputed because it just doesn't fit. I'm about to give you everything that doesn't fit on Undisputed. I'm about to give you the inside stories, the behind the scenes stories, the back stories, the flashback stories of the greatest games I ever covered and give it to you from the inside out. And in this episode, I'm about to go much deeper into the time I have spent around, you know who, A.B., Antonio Brown. And I will give you a flashback to the three greatest games I ever covered, my three favorite games that I ever attended and covered from the inside out. Dallas at San Francisco, Cowboys at 49ers at Candlestick Park in honor of what's about to happen at Jerry World, obviously San Francisco at Dallas. And of course, as always, as I've been doing on hashtag Skip Rides the Troller Coaster, I will be responding to all of your questions, your no-holds-barred questions about why I've said everything that I've said on Undisputed and what really goes on behind the scenes of Undisputed. But first up in this episode, I will kick it off with not to be skipped. The subject, Rain Dakota Prescott, my quarterback, my guy, Dak. As you might or might not know, I'm a lifelong diehard Dallas Cowboy fan. My uncle took me to my first game way back when, 1961 the old Cotton Bowl, Dallas, Texas. Cowboys versus what were then called the St. Louis Cardinals, and I got hooked by those stars that used to be on the shoulder pads as well as on the helmet. And I'm infected, I'm inflicted. I I can't help myself when it comes to my Cowboys, as you know from watching Undisputed. No one on television has defended and applauded Dak Prescott more than I have. And no one on television has been more frustrated than I have by Dak Prescott. I have loved and I have feared Dak Prescott more than any human out there. I am here to make the case. I have resolved, I have decided that Dak Prescott can be better than Tony Romo. He can be even more clutch than Romo often was. And I also believe that Dak Prescott can be even worse than Tony ever was on his darkest day and lowest moments. There are times that Dak Prescott plays like the fourth overall pick in the draft. And there are other times, 
unpredictably, unexpectedly when he plays like the fourth round pick that he actually was. His first name is spelled R-A-Y-N-E, Rain. Sometimes I spell it R-E-I-G-N as he reigns over the National Football League. And sometimes I spell it R-A-I-N as rain on my parade on Undisputed when I talk about my Cowboys. For me, it all started quite a ways back, 2014. I was attending a friend's wedding, Sarasota, Florida, staying at the Ritz-Carlton. And that Saturday morning, fall weekend, I got on the treadmill in the workout room and I'm flipping around because I'm trying to find number two versus number three. I wanted to find that game, which was Auburn at Mississippi State because I was intrigued by the quarterback at Mississippi State and bits and pieces I'd seen him so far. His name was Dak Prescott. And did he ever put on a show as I ran on the treadmill? I got faster and faster. He got better and better. I loved his body language. It was not in my house body language aimed at Auburn. They took over the game because of Dak Prescott. It was 21 to nothing on the way to 38 to 23. And would you believe Dak Prescott lifted Mississippi State, as in my days at Vanderbilt, we called him Mississippi State, lifted Mississippi State to number one in the nation that week. My guy, Dak, back on Undisputed that Monday. Sorry, it was then first take, actually, but I'm still going to call it Undisputed, back in my old days at ESPN. It's the show that morphed into Undisputed. But back on first take, I raved about Dak Prescott. He was my man and my guy. And pretty soon, my guy Dak led number one ranked Mississippi State into Tuscaloosa to take on number five ranked Alabama. I'd been all over Johnny Manziel a couple of years earlier, 2012, the show he put on at Tuscaloosa turned Saint Nick into Ain't Nick that day. I thought Dak would do the same. So on first take slash undisputed, I proclaimed that Dak would turn the tide at the tide. And that day, Dak threw three interceptions, and he looked overmatched and ultimately overwhelmed. But late in the game, guess what he did? You Cowboy fans will appreciate this. Out of nowhere, he pulls off a 72-yard drive in 13 plays, touchdown pass late in the game, 15 seconds left, four yards, cut the score to 25-20. to 20. It was over. They lost, but it sounded good, didn't it? Dak was a warrior in that drive, but they lost. Omen, sign of things to come, maybe. But I thought my guy Dak, at least he battled to the bitter end. Yet I had to eat a bunch of crow on undisputed slash first take that next Monday morning. And my guy Dak's team slid right into the sunset, lost three of its last four. The following season, <clears throat> Dak's Mississippi State Bulldogs lost four SEC games, and I forgot about him. Until the Senior Bowl, I happened to flip it on, and wow, there's my guy Dak. Hadn't thought about him for a while, and all he did that day was win most outstanding player at the Senior Bowl. Guess who the coaching staff was? Oh, Cowboy coaching staff led by then head coach Jason Garrett. 
Later found out they fell in love with Dak that week. Later found out that they convinced Jerry Jones, you got to take a flyer on him, even if it happens to be in the fourth round. I couldn't figure out why Dak fell all the way to the fourth round, but did read that he had a DUI, but the charge was dropped because of invalid sample. That's what I read. But I thought, is it because of the DUI, a red flag, that he fell all the way through round two and round three to round four? I don't know. I tried to justify it. I tried to rationalize it. And then Undisputed happened. I left ESPN, came west, out here to Los Angeles, California. And even before Shannon and I launched Undisputed, my Cowboys played two preseason games. First one was out here at the Coliseum against the Rams. Wow, Dak Prescott and his little cameo that he got took the game over. Boom, right down the field, scored. Wow like what I saw. That looks so much better than Romo's been looking. Then at Seattle, guess what? Right on cue. Eggshell Romo got hurt. Dak went in. First team, Legion of Boom, playing like it was a playoff game. Dak stood up to the fire in the brimstone. Took over the game. First day of Undisputed, September 6th of 2016, that Monday, we launched. I told Shannon Sharp across the debate table, Dak Prescott is my guy. He's going to turn around the fate of my Dallas Cowboys. And Shannon looked at me like I had mad cow disease. And I stuck by my guns. And they went 13-3, and did Dak's rookie year team. 13-3? and Whew! Greatest rookie year ever, I proclaim. Uh, Now I look back and I say, hmm, maybe it had a little bit to do with Zeke averaging 106 yards rushing a game, which easily led the National Football League. He has now plummeted this year to 57 yards a game as he has gone down, down, down all six of his years. Oh, but that's another story. But Dak got 106 to back him up as a rookie. And those two children... A child shall lead them, led them all the way into the playoffs. Dak played great in that playoff game against Aaron Rodgers, threw for 305, three touchdowns, brought him all the way back to 31 all. It took two intergalactic hand of God field goals by Mason Crossbar to turn the tide against Dak. But I was so bought into Dak Prescott that I convinced our people here at FS1 as the next year opened, yeah, let's do a commercial featuring me and Shannon for Undisputed on Dak. In the commercial, I'm raving about Dak. Shannon's laughing at me about Dak. We shot it on a Saturday early in the season. A football Saturday, college football Saturday. Went all day, take after take after take, blood, sweat, and tears. We loved it, happy it was done in the can. Following day, Dak at Denver, Broncos 42, Cowboys 17. True story, 42 to 17. I couldn't recognize him. I had flashbacks to Tuscaloosa. What happened to my guy? I I don't know. And later that year, Zeke finally took his suspension, six games. Dak fell on his face, fell apart. Cowboys fell by the wayside as did that commercial. It never aired. 
because we just couldn't do it because Dak let me down. Dak made me look like a fool, but I still hung in. I still tried to believe next year opens 2018. <sighs> My Cowboys fall to three and five. Is that possible with rain Dakota Prescott at the rains? Three and five? It's a Monday night. Remember this game, Cowboy fans? At Jerry World against Tennessee. They're hot now, aren't they? Titans 28 to 14. Dak was awful. I, I was so embarrassed, so humiliated, so disgusted with my guy Dak. When the game ended, I took off my number four jersey. My wife Ernestine followed me into the kitchen, taping me as I threw it in the trash. And if <clears throat> you had told me, that night, that fairly soon, Jerry Jones would pay Dak Prescott $75 million to play quarterback for one year for the Cowboys. If you told me that that night, I would have thrown you in the trash. <sighs> but then Amari happened. They just traded for him, gave up a first-round pick to the Raiders, Amari Cooper. And suddenly there was a magical connection between Dak and Amari. He turned Dak's career around, and here they came. And all of a sudden, I'm watching Dak outplay Russell Wilson in a home playoff game. And then I'm watching him come out again to the Coliseum here in L.A. and outplay Jared Goff and, and really rise above the Rams' defense featuring Aaron Donald, who wasn't much of a factor that night. Meanwhile, the Rams were running my Cowboys' defense off the field. And yeah, it was a mess, but Dak wasn't. 30 to 22 was the final score, and I was proud of him. I was proud of the plays that he made against Russell Wilson. Remember that third and 14 from the 17 quarterback draw that iced the game against the Seahawks? Pretty special stuff. So I'd seen three playoff games and three clutch performances by my guy, Dak. He was back. And then here we went into 2019. Three Fourth of July fireworks displays. Boom, 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 right out of the box. Albeit against the Giants at Washington, Dolphins, who were then pathetic. Shannon's telling me garbage, garbage, garbage. But Dak led the league in every statistical category. And all of a sudden, he and his agent decided to go to, to negotiation war with Jerry Jones. I couldn't believe it. Jerry had a very fair offer on the table. Jerry told the media after the opening game, signing was imminent. That meant Jerry thought he had a handshake deal on the money involved. And all of a sudden, it went completely south, as did Dak. He bet on himself, and he started looking like Tuscaloosa Dak. And over those final 13 games, Lord have mercy. Pro Football Focus graded him the 15th best quarterback. They went five and eight to fall to eight and eight. And all those road games that, that made me want to leave and go on the road permanently and never come back. At the Jets, at New Orleans, at Chicago, at New England, at Philly to end the year, all the money pushed to the middle of the table. Dak was sorry. Bet on himself and lost, or so I thought. 
And then that offseason, the pandemic hit. And what happened? TMZ showed some pictures of a party that Dak threw early in the pandemic at his home near the Star, Frisco, Texas. And the neighbors had so complained that the police were called because there were a lot of cars parked. You're supposed to have 10 or fewer people at any gathering. TMZ showed what looked like place settings for 30-odd people. Cowboys were furious. I heard from an inside source at the Cowboys that they were really upset with Dak because it was a pandemic. I think there were 600,000 deaths reported at that point. Dak was scheduled to make, just under the franchise tag, $32 million. And now he's doing this with such a bad look. And Stephen Jones blasted Dak on his radio show and, and said something to the effect of, we won't be seeing that anymore, he vowed and promised. And Dak fired back. There were only 10 or fewer there. And I'd never seen my team go to war with a quarterback publicly the way they were going to war with their franchise quarterback. And believe me, it had everything to do with the bad blood negotiation. And it got worse and it got worse. And it just felt wrong to me. It got so bad that I campaigned for my team to go sign Tom Brady. He's, he's out there, he's a free agent. I love Tom Brady. If, if Dak wants people saying Mahomes money, forget about it. It's not all that. We've seen him fail. He was 6-11 and 11 in his last 17 games. Yet he was turning into the most sympathetic of figures because anybody who goes up against the man Jerry Jones, that arrogant billionaire, that hick from the Arkansas sticks, lowest hanging fruit in pro football, biggest, easiest target in pro football, Jerry Jones. And Dak had him on the run. And I said, well, sign Brady. He'll, he'll take a hometown discount. I'm, I'm campaigning for Dak to take one because he had 12 national TV commercials. Nope. Take an America's team discount. Nope. Sorry. Huh. And in a shock to me, a relief to me, Jerry crumbled. Glad Dak was still my guy, but Jerry crumbled. You're kidding. Jerry got taken to the bank and then to the cleaners. Jerry sat at the media session and looked at Dak and said, you beat me. You got me. I overpaid you. You're going to make $75 million this year. You're kidding me. Oftentimes this year, Dak has looked like he's making, what, $7.50 an hour? And yet three times this year, now a Cowboy record. He was named NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Okay, you got me. I ride the roller coaster. But it's Dakpot for Dak Prescott. Not Jackpot, Dakpot. He got paid. And we haven't as Cowboy fans until now. Is this our moment of reckoning? I'm still clinging to those three playoff performances. Average QBR in those games, 77. If you projected that out this year in the NFL, that would have led the whole league in QBR by far. And yet, I live in fear of Dak turning back into that fourth rounder. I still believe in him with all my heart and soul. 
I do believe that in a playoff game, he will come up clutch. I believe he will play like the fourth overall pick, if not the first overall pick. But I'm here to admit to you publicly, my man Dak still scares me to death. Let's change gears. Next up, two initials have made some news of late. You know those initials, A.B., Antonio Brown. Once upon a time in 2010, a sixth-round draft pick by the Pittsburgh Steelers, 195 overall, out of Central Michigan. I didn't know anything about him. Did a little bit his rookie year. Got 19 targets, caught 16 balls. They did go to the Super Bowl, those Steelers. They did lose to Aaron Rodgers. It's been a long time since Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl. It's like decades ago, it feels like. Who knew? Aaron Rodgers is now one and four in NFC Championship games? I don't know. Second year, A.B., his sophomore season, so to speak. Broke through. Wow. Caught 69 balls for 1,108 yards. Made the Pro Bowl. Did Antonio Brown. Remember that team, 2011 Steelers? Remember what happened to them in the playoffs? They went to Denver. They got Tebowed. My guy, Tim Tebow, did a number on him. Remember the overtime throw? Demarius Thomas, may he rest in peace. God rest his soul. What a game that was. I don't, <coughs> excuse me, remember A.B. playing that much. He didn't catch my eye. He did catch five balls, actually, for 70 yards. I remember Emmanuel Sanders because I liked him out of SMU, me being a Dallas guy. He caught six for 81. But that offseason on what was then undisputed slash first take, ESPN. We were offered up, would you like to have AB? We didn't know him by AB. We just knew him by Antonio Brown in studio. Sure, don't know how he'll be on camera. That's always the trick when you get a guy in studio, big star athlete, freeze up, go into their shell. They can be great in pre-show meetings and then they freeze up on TV. Let's try it. And out came Antonio wearing a little pork pie hat with a billion dollar smile. Maybe the greatest smile I've ever seen. It just lit up the whole studio. Antonio didn't with what he had to say. He had next to nothing to say, but he was just so happy. He just radiated sitting there in his little pork pie hat. He was just so excited to be on television. And we got a great kick out of it. I enjoyed him. I told our producers, sure, let's have him back. Didn't click really until 2014, about three years later. That year, AB was becoming AB. All pro, first team all pro. Hmm, another pro bowl. He was that dude. We had taken first take slash undisputed to the ESPYs in July out here in LA, LA Live, downtown LA. I'm leaving after doing the show and I run into guess who? AB coming in. I'm leaving. Bolts over to me, gives me a huge hug. It's got 
his crew with him. And I, I tried to strike up a conversation, just beaming. Have me on the show. Okay, you got it. Name the time, name the place. We'll do it. Let's do it tomorrow. And yet, I couldn't connect with him. I, I couldn't. Usually with, with athletes, rappers, it, it just have a way about me I can connect. Going back to the days, me and Chad Johnson, we did battle on TV live, but we connected off camera. Just easy to talk to, talk to him on the phone. Obviously, we had so many of the greatest ever rappers on. Lil Wayne became a very close friend of mine. Nelly became a very close friend of mine. And I was open to connecting with Antonio, and I just couldn't. There, there wasn't any there there. And it struck me, he didn't really want to know me. Just want to be on my show. And it hit me that, man, he's starting to, to do what I call turning. Had friends in the media, television, who actually go through the looking glass. They, they turn almost like a vampire turns into somebody they don't know anymore. And I don't know them because they aren't sure who they are anymore. Felt like AB was, was not, not himself anymore. He was a reflection of what was in the mirror. Vampires can't see themselves in the mirror, so they lose all sight of who they are. They lose their heart and their soul to television. I would like to think I haven't. I fight every day to try to keep both feet on the ground. It felt like AB's feet were off the ground. He was flying high because social media was start to take hold, starting to take hold, starting to dominate not just the world of sports, but the world. And it felt like he was becoming the first high-profile victim of social media where he was the man in the mirror that he couldn't even see anymore. He was a reflection. He was who his followers told him he needed to be. And then you remember after that playoff game, 2016, they won at Kansas City, and A.B. went Facebook Live in the post-game locker room as his coach, Mike Tomlin, my favorite NFL coach, the one I would love to play for if I could play in the NFL, he went live during Mike's post-game comments to the team. The behind-closed-doors comments went public on Facebook Live. Mike Tomlin was furious. The Steelers were furious. But they paid him because he was that great. He'd been on a three-year roll where you could argue he's the best receiver in pro football. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million 
million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Bayless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Bayless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Bayless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We had them on Undisputed in our maiden voyage year at the Super Bowl at Houston. And I was surprised that he came on beaming once again because my man Shannon, he earned his spurs that day. Shannon showed me something that day because Shannon Sharp Hall of Famer went after AB on live national TV. Basically chewed him up and spat him out. How dare you do that to Mike Tomlin? How dare you do this and this and this? Shannon took him apart and it didn't bother Antonio one bit. He was just happy to be on TV. He was just beaming. Billion dollar smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't have anything to say. He just loved being on TV. And then you know the rest of the story. Social media told him, you gotta be you. You gotta be free. You got to stand up to the man. So he did. He stood up to and he turned on Mike Tomlin, as respected a coach as there is in this league, a blackhead coach. And Mike Tomlin said no to Antonio Brown, sent him home, and then they sent him on his way. And then you know the rest of the story. He turned on John Gruden, Mike Mayock. He'd given him a bunch of money, 50 million, 30 to sign. Loved him, loved him, supported him, defended him, turned on them. Yeah, be the man, beat the man. Then he turned on Robert Kraft, the owner, highly respected owner of the Patriots. And then you know what happened. He, He turned on the GOAT. Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. who had defended and supported A.B. the way nobody ever will again. Brady had been his angel and A.B. burned that bridge to the ground. B.A. as in Bruce Arians had been something of an angel thanks to Brady and he burned that bridge to the ground. And I'm here to tell you that the NFL will turn on Antonio. I still look back fondly on my time around him, but I'm sorry. He's free now, and I think he's gonna stay that way as far as the NFL is concerned. And I hope he enjoys his next life as a celebrity who's gonna have a hard time getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Let's ride the troller coaster. How about it? Let's take a question from the audience. How about it? Let's go to Hunter from San Antonio who asks, what do you believe is the biggest robbery in sports history? Great question. Glad you asked. I was there that night in the press box in Foxborough when the tuck rule happened and Brady and the Patriots 
greatly benefited from a blown call. It was outrageously wrong. I was covering the Raiders at that point and they got robbed and you can make a case. Obviously that was all time, but <clears throat> hard to have sympathy for it because eh, it had gone the right way and the Raiders had won. Brady was still gonna win six or seven or eight Super Bowls anyway. I'm a Cowboy fan. I'm sorry, the greatest robbery ever happened on January the 11th of 2015 on the frozen tundra at Lambeau Field. Late in the game, 4.42 left, fourth and two, the Green Bay 32. Tony Romo threw as clutch a pass as he ever threw for my Cowboys to my guy, Des Bryant, who caught it. He caught it. Des caught it. And he ran two strides with it. And he put the ball in his left hand because he's left-handed, and he slammed it on the goal line the way running backs slam it on the goal line. The referee closest to that, <coughs> excuse me, play, raised his arms, touchdown. Mm. And I celebrated because my Cowboys were about to win the game. My Cowboys had won a game on October 12th that year at Seattle, 30 to 23, and they were about to go back to Seattle for the NFC Championship game, and I believe they would have beaten those Seahawks. I doubt they would have beaten Brady in the Super Bowl, but just to get there for the first time since the 95 season, ah, oh, it would have made my life if Tony Romo, made Jerry's life if Tony Romo had gotten to a Super Bowl. But guess who challenged? My current coach, Mike McCarthy, as in drop the Mike McCarthy, as in stay out of the way, Mike McCarthy, as in I have no idea how to manage a game, McCarthy, as in I'm overwhelmed, McCarthy. He challenged and he won. Mike McCarthy's challenge took away, Des caught it. And Green Bay survived 26 to 21. And that, my friends, is the greatest robbery in sports history times 100 times 100. I'll go to 100. Thank you. It is now time for a flashback. I'm about to take you back to my three favorite games that I ever covered, even though they had heartbreak involved. But I'm going to hark back first to a game I covered at Old Texas Stadium in 1980. It was Bill Walsh and young Joe Montana and the 49ers at Cowboys. It was Cowboys 59 to 14. The 49ers were a joke. The next year, 1981, fairly early in the year, it was October 11th, Cowboys at San Francisco, my first visit to Candlestick Park. I rode the media bus, which was the third bus in the procession, two team buses, media bus with some of the officials and Tech Shram, the GM on it. And the bus drivers decided to take a circuitous route through the back streets of South San Francisco to Old Candlestick. 
and it was the Himalayas, man. I'm not exaggerating how steep these hills were. And would you believe all three buses got stuck on a hill? Would not budge, would not go forward. Players had to get out and push the buses up to the top of the, the crest of the hill to get them over the top, pushed our bus over the top of the hill. I look back on it, <clears throat> it had to be an omen. It had to be a sign of things to come because that day something impossible happened at Candlestick Park. Joe Montana and Bill Walsh and the 49ers beat the Dallas Cowboys I covered 45 to 14. You want to talk about changing the guard, sign of things to come, which led us back to Candlestick Park that January, the 10th of January, now 1982. Many of you Cowboy fans know it as the catch game. Wound up 28 to 27, 49ers. I got to know Bill Walsh later, became a close friend of mine. I think he's the greatest coach ever, greatest personnel director coach ever. Invented the West Coast offense, created Joe Montana, stole him in the third round. And the number he did on the Cowboys that day in the catch game was something to behold. Dynasties shifted in a seismic way. It, it felt earthquakey to me in San Francisco. In, near the end of the game, as you know, Joe Montana on a third and four from the six-yard line, rolled right, chased by two tall Jones and D.D. Lewis. And he never admitted this, but he hinted at, he was just trying to throw it away. Dwight Clark was about 6'3", being covered by Everson Walls, who became a close friend of mine, undrafted out of Grambling, a rookie that year, had set the Cowboy interception single season record at 11 because everybody threw at Everson Walls. He ran a 4'6'40" but could he sniff the ball out and go get it and catch it? He just couldn't jump with Dwight Clark. Dwight went up into the fog that was descending and snatched it out of the fog. San Francisco 28, Dallas 27, but the Cowboys still had some time left. Danny White trying to replace to and live up to Roger Staubach, God bless him. He threw a deep pass on a deep post to my guy, Drew Pearson, another friend of mine. And it looked like he was gone. <clears throat> he went 31 yards with the ball. And Eric Wright, young corner, reached out and horse collared him from behind, snatched him by the nape of the neck from behind. Today, it would be obviously a 15 plus yard penalty. Not in the rule book then. He dragged Drew down on the next play. Danny White got sacked, fumbled, lost it, game over. History changed, dynasty shifted, and now it was the 49ers' turn. Now let's fast forward to January 17th of 1993. It was Jimmy, it was Jerry, it was Troy, it was Emmett, it was Michael. It was the two young cowboys at Candlestick 
the NFC Championship game against Steve Young and Jerry Rice and the 49ers, and those Cowboys were just too young. They weren't ready for this. And they broke through a year ahead of schedule. And late in the game, Troy Aikman hit Alvin Harper on a slant, and there was no horse collar this time. He went 70 yards, set up a short TD pass to Kelvin Martin. Cowboys won that game 30 to 20. I flew out on the team plane that day, uh, the day before actually, and then I flew back that night. <clears throat> but what I remember is two things. As I walked to the press box elevator, North Turner, then the coordinator, friend of mine, came up from behind me from the coach's box and slapped me on the back as hard as I've ever been slapped on the back, knocked the breath out of me from behind because he was so excited about what they had just wrought. And it took me a while to catch my breath. And as I got down on the field, I realized just how creepy Candlestick Park was. It was always foggy. It was always wet. It was always cold. The ground was always muddy. And I got my nice shoes as muddy as they've ever been. I ruined a pair of shoes trying to walk around the field across to the locker room. And I had mud on my shoes all the way home that night on that team plane. And they were ecstatic. And Jimmy told them, Jimmy Johnson told them the next day that he had watched the tape of Buffalo and that they were going to win the game. He laid all his cards on the table. You will win the Super Bowl because he had watched and he just knew they were better and they were. And as you remember, it was a massacre, which leads to my all-time favorite game. A negative outcome for the Dallas Cowboys happened two years later. January 15th, 1995, at creepy old, muddy old candlestick, Barry Switzer's Cowboys at 49ers, NFC Championship game, shock of shocks, Cowboys fall behind 21 to nothing. Troy threw a pick six. Eric Davis went 44 yards with it. Big kickoff return. All of a sudden, it's 21 to nothing. And the run-oriented Dallas Cowboys, Emmett had a bad hamstring that day, had no choice but to let Troy throw it. He was being covered by his closest friend, Neon Dion, as in Sanders. Greatest individual matchup I ever saw, bar none, happened that day. Troy threw Michael Irvin, 8 to 88, 26 passes. And he caught 12 for 192 on the greatest cornerback who ever breathed, Neon Dion. 12 for 192 and two touchdowns. 44 yards, 10 yards. And the game was decided because Dion got away with an arm bar pass interference, a glaringly obvious pass interference near the end of the game. So it's actually six minutes left. Barry Switzer, first year as the Cowboys coach sort of went Norman, Oklahoma, and ran out onto the field to protest. It was a terrible call or non-call. Got a 15-yard penalty, and the Cowboys wind up third and 25, and the game was basically over. 
That's the one game in my life I would pay again to see knowing what I know now, if I could know that then. I would pay a large amount of money to watch Michael Irvin, whom I can still, I still consider him the greatest receiver ever because he was the greatest receiver leader ever, a greater leader than Jerry Rice was versus the greatest corner ever. It was special. It gives me goosebumps to even talk about it. And I hope you enjoyed flashing back about it. Let's go back to the troller coaster, shall we? Let's go to Ivan, Thousand Oaks. Ah, I spent a lot of days in Thousand Oaks covering Cowboys in training camp. What was the last debate you lost? Asked Ivan. Glad you asked that, Ivan. It gives me an opportunity to address something that I've seen pop up on the internet here of late. Me saying that Johnny Manziel is going to be even bigger in Cleveland than LeBron James ever was. I debated many people on First Take slash Undisputed on ESPN about Johnny Manziel. You can say that that wound up being the dumbest thing I ever said, but it really wasn't. You can say I lost all those debates, but I really didn't because yeah, I love Johnny. So did a lot of people. I'd fallen closely as he won the Heisman as a redshirt freshman, Texas A&M. Knew a lot of people very well who knew Johnny very well. Stories were legendary on and off the field. Talked to Cliff Kingsbury, then the head coach at Texas Tech, about Johnny. He'd been the coordinator for him at A&M. He told me some stories. What Johnny did to my Oklahoma Sooners, I was born and raised an Oklahoma Sooner fan in Oklahoma City, was nothing short of legendary. In the Cotton Bowl that year, he threw for 287. He ran for 229. <clears throat> That's 516 total yards. Two passing touchdowns, two running touchdowns. That's four total touchdowns. It was 41 to 13 over Bob Stoops and his brother, who was the defensive coordinator. It was a mismatch. It was a joke. Johnny would have been not a good, but a great pro football player. John Gruden fell in love with Johnny during what was called the Gruden quarterback camps that they ran on ESPN. Gruden campaigned, even on our show on First Take, that he should go number one overall to Houston. I thought the same thing. Dallas passed him at 16, favor of Zach Martin. That turned out to be a fateful way to go Jerry pick, thanks to Stephen Jones saying, no, Jerry, no. Got a Hall of Famer there. Cleveland traded up from 26 to 22 because Johnny had texted Dow Loggins, the quarterback coach for Cleveland. Let's wreck the league together. I believe they would have. I believe they could have. But Johnny had issues. And I repeatedly said, I prefaced everything I said on ESPN with this statement. If Johnny falls prey to his alcohol demons, I'm out. Forget about it. That was my caveat. I wanted to say if he falls prey to his drug demons, I'm out. But those in charge at ESPN thought that was a little much. Maybe it was, but I had plugged in sources. Johnny had real problems, deep, dark problems. Thought maybe he could kick those problems, but he didn't. Johnny gave in to 
wanting to party as his priority of wanting to play football. Seriously, he, he truly prioritized partying over starring in the NFL. Yeah, I believe if he had lived up to what he could be on the field, yeah, he would have been bigger than LeBron in Cleveland. You know why? Because the Browns are way bigger in Cleveland, Ohio, than the Cavs ever hoped to be. LeBron was all-time great, but if Johnny had led the Browns to a Super Bowl, which he was highly capable of, trust me, <sighs> bigger than LeBron. But I, I tried to trust my instincts. I told everybody, I'm out if he's got issues, and trust me, he had issues. I ran into Johnny not too long ago at a taping I did with Kevin Hart. And Johnny wasn't that upset over what happened in his career. I don't think he ever really wanted to be a star in pro football. I think he wanted to be a star in the clubs. Honestly, it's sad to me, but I don't think it's that sad to Johnny. I got to know him a little bit. I, I still like the heck out of him. But you want to talk about special? Whew. He was special. Was I wrong? Well, ultimately, yes. But as I always say about quarterbacks, and I've been right way more times than I've been wrong, I, I dare anybody to, sh to put their track record on picking quarterbacks up against mine. I can't predict injuries in pro football, and I cannot predict self-destruction. Johnny just self-destructed, seemed just fine with it. Back to your questions. What happens during commercial breaks during Undisputed? Great question. I leave the set every single time. Why do I leave the set? Because I don't want to sit and shoot the breeze with Shannon Sharp. Three, four minute commercial break. We are competing. We are going for the throat. Every topic is the equivalent of game seven to me, and I believe to Shannon also. Sometimes we get a little heated. Sometimes it pushes right up to the edge. I need to get away from it. I need to walk around the corner of the set to my little desk setup. I take a sip of what's now my black cherry sparkling ice. Used to drink two Diet Mountain Dews per show, but now I just drink one before the show, black cherry sparkling ice. I take a big sip. In fact, I think I'll take a sip of water right now. Ah, and I let go the previous topic and I lock in on the next topic. I've already crammed. I've already tried to do what I call flash memory. And I remind myself that if he goes here, I'm going to go there. If he tries that, I'm going to counter with that. And I stay over there until I get the cue in my headset, my, my earpiece, 30 seconds. And then I march back around the corner and we do battle again. I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that Shannon always, or at least often, checks his phone because he wants to know whether Twitter says he won or lost the debate. And frankly, that's fine. That's what you want to do. But I don't need that validation because 
I know who won the debate. Another question from you. How about Brian, Columbia, Missouri? Have you ever been nervous before Undisputed? Yeah, once. The day my wife, Ernestine, came onto our show to promote the book she had written. And I got to tell you, I love my wife, Ernestine. She is a live wire. She is a ball of fire. And she is a shoot from the lip force to be reckoned with. And I just couldn't quite imagine what she might spit out on live national TV. We are live on Undisputed every day, every second, nothing to tape, live, live, live. 630 to, I'm sorry, 630 Pacific, but it's 930 to noon, obviously Eastern time, 630 AM Pacific time kickoff for us. So I feared it. I hurt for her because I wasn't sure she could stand up to it. And then I wasn't sure what might spill out. And guess what happened? She was way better than I was. I was scared to death. She acted like she'd been doing it her whole life. She took the show over. It was one of the highest rated segments in the history of Undisputed. That's why I love you, Ernestine. Which brings me to our final question. This from Clay from Newark, Newark, New Jersey. Who is the one person you have always wanted to debate? Clay, there's only one. One. Charles Barkley. What has happened to me over the last 20 years What has happened between me and Charles Barkley over 20 years is simply the wildest story of my entire career. And I will tell it in full on an upcoming Skip Bayless show. I want to thank you for being a part of this Skip Bayless show. I want to thank Jonathan Berger and his all-pro team for making this show go. I want to thank Tyler Korn, for producing this show. Remember, Undisputed, Monday through Friday, 9.30 to noon Eastern, The Skip Bayless Show, every single week.